Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please send us an email and let us know at impact at jfc.org. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at jfc.org. Click on the Give link and help us bring messages just like this one to you every week. Today's message is from our series, The Book of Acts. We will be diving deep into Acts and looking at eyewitness accounts of the Holy Spirit and asking ourselves, can these same miracles happen in our church today? It's going to be an amazing series you won't want to miss. Hi, folks. Welcome today. Glad that you uh, have made it for our JFC uh, weekend experience. I want to welcome all of our campuses, obviously Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, online, all of our visitors, all of our folks who are here this weekend. We appreciate you being here. Uh, it is uh, our country's um, birthday weekend, so happy 4th of July uh, to everybody. We're going to start a new series this weekend on the book of Acts, one that I'm, uh, I'm actually been very hungry to teach this message. It's one that's been deep in my heart. I feel like we've got miracles that happen at our church, but I don't feel like we see them on, a, on a, like an ongoing, regular basis. And the ones that we do, I would say to you, man, as much as I appreciate them, I think we see them for uh, those who are spiritually elite, and God never tended, intended for miracles to be in the realm of the spiritually elite. It's the realm of every day that God wanted miracles happening in our life. So as I teach on this, it's sort of, uh, in the first message, it's pretty um, wide brush stroked in order to bring everybody in. As we go down through the next few weeks, we'll talk specifics on being a part of the miraculous uh, on the first century church, on why the book of Acts is here. Uh, but if you go ahead and grab your notes, we'll jump into uh, the, uh, the uh, message at the intro point. It's our summer series. We're calling it the book of Acts. Uh, very quickly, let me give you some historical context on Luke. Uh, I use Luke. Um, Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts. It's the same Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So how do we know that, that these two are the same person? Well, Luke in his gospel uh, starts the book this way, and I'll, I'll turn there real quick and read this to you. Uh, he mentions a disciple of his that he is, uh, he is writing to, and he said, uh, many have undertaken, Luke chapter 1, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from a first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So he's writing, Luke, by the way, was not a disciple of Jesus, Sometimes people think Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of those must have been disciples. Luke was not a disciple of Jesus. Luke was a disciple of Paul. And he's mentioned in Paul's epistles later on. But Luke had this handed down to him. He was a doctor, and what he's saying is, I went back and investigated everything from the very beginning, and what I'm about to tell you is true. It, is, it has been testified to. I have investigated carefully everything about it, and this is right on. So he's writing to his disciple, uh, his disciple Theophilus, and then in the book of Acts, if, uh, if you have your Bible and you just were to flip over to the book of Acts, in chapter 1 of Acts, uh, he does the exact same uh, thing. He begins by saying, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, well, here's what most scholars think. This is just interesting. I know it's, it's a little outside of the message, but I like to think this way. I know Pastor Evan likes to think this way. I know Jack Dodge likes to think this way. Uh, here, here's a thought. Most people think that when Luke wrote the book of Luke, he continued on writing. The, they're almost one book, really. You could read Luke, 
and then read Acts, and they almost join themselves together, where Luke writes about all the things that Jesus did, and then he begins right into all the things that happened after Jesus ascended and what the church did. And he draws this really cool distinction. Jesus did all these miracles. Now he's ascended into heaven. We are left here to do the miracles that Jesus was doing. It's a really powerful thing. In fact, I would encourage you, read the two things together. Read the book of Luke and go right into the book of Acts. It's, it's a seamless event. It's really cool. You get a lot out of it right there. That's just the perspective on where it comes from, a little bit about him. Uh, interesting thoughts. Let me, let me give you three things on, uh, on why we're going to talk about the book of Acts for this, um, this new series. The first one is I want to talk about the mission uh, the mission that we've been given. Everyone in the church, this isn't, again, for the elite. This is not for pastors. This is not for those who have been trained. Uh, this is for everyone who loves Jesus, who has called upon his name. Our mission is, is the same mission. We are to be witnesses throughout the earth for Jesus. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to concentrate on. That's what we're supposed to be consumed with, actually. And I think we get consumed with so many other things in church, so many other things in the world. We don't think about the fact this is our job to be witnesses. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You shall receive powers uh, to be my witnesses in through the, all, all the earth. And so we, we are called to be uh, his witnesses. That's Acts 1.8. The second one is, uh, why Acts right now? Because of the message of Acts one of my favorite statements is to say, transform people, transform cities. Acts 19, you'll find this all through the book of Acts, and we'll teach on these, but Acts 19 is one of my favorite stories. Uh, it talks about Paul. Here's what the Bible says. Acts 19, I think it's like uh, verse 8. Forgive me for not knowing exactly, but it is Acts 19. It says, uh, God worked extraordinary miracles through Paul. Now, I want you just to think about this for a moment. I thought all miracles were extraordinary. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, by definition, a miracle is extraordinary. And yet it says God worked extraordinary miracles. through. So these weren't your ordinary miracles. These were your extraordinary miracles. Imagine how many, we'd settle for ordinary. And those guys are operating at the level of, here is how extraordinary it was. His essence, the Holy Spirit, the essence of the Holy Spirit so worked on Paul that they could take handkerchiefs from the essence of the Holy Spirit being near Paul, take handkerchiefs to people who were sick, and just by touching his handkerchief, demons were cast out, the sick were made well, blind could see, deaf could he. Can you imagine? His shadow would fall upon people, and they'd get up off of their sick mat. That's an extraordinary miracle. That, I mean, imagine how powerful that was. It's just in my mind that we, we live in the realm of, God, we'd like to see ordinary. Those guys are like, we're past ordinary to extraordinary. Maybe said of us at some point, God worked so powerfully amongst that group of people that extraordinary miracles were taking place. Miracles we can't even imagine. I just love that thought. Transform people, transform cities. Paul has this experience. Uh, he, he, he has a, a confrontation um, with the seven sons of Sceva. Uh, they're a Jewish uh, high priest, seven sons who, who want to be um, demon caster-outers. I don't know what you, what you want to call them. They have a bad experience with a demon who knows Jesus and knows Paul but doesn't know them. Uh, another message for another time. Uh, the bottom line is Paul has this, this unusual ability because of his relationship with God. Remember, always plugged in this way to operate this way. He has this unusual ability that, that the people in the city of Ephesus recognize it. And this is what it says happened. Fear gripped the city because of these extraordinary miracles. Not fear like we're afraid, but fear like I've never seen anything like this, and this must be real. And here's what I would say to you. Listen to this thought right here. This is a city that's not a godly city. 
This is a wicked city. This is a city that is full of black magic, people that worship everything else but the creator. And when they're confronted with a real miracle, think about this. This would help in our day and age today. Rather than arguing with people, rather than trying to, to philosophically tell them why we think we're right or let's debate what we believe against what someone, here's what would change everything. If the fear of God, because of how he worked amongst us, were to be known by people, they'd either have to reject it or accept it. And in the people of Ephesus, here's what happened. They, they were so overtaken by what they saw happening in the miraculous, they took all of their magic incantation books to the city square, threw them in a pile, and burned them. Now, now, you might think, well, Nazi Germany did things like that. No, the Nazis forced people to do things like that. These people came of their own free will through repentance and said, this is garbage we're reading and listening to. Let's get rid of it. And it changed the entire moral climate of a city through the miraculous. And I would just say to you, that is our, our mission is not to argue vain philosophies, empty, high-sounding words. It's to be a witness of the miraculous. I love that message. And then the third reason why the book of Acts is just simply the miracles. So the mission, the message, the miracles, signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Let me tell you very quickly the purpose of a sign. Those of you who travel, what is the purpose of a sign? A sign is not the, de the destination, is it? A, si a sign's not the destination. A sign tells you if you're on the right road. A sign tells you how far you've come or how far you have to go. Yes? But a sign is not, so we're not in this like, oh, we got to have signs. That's the thing. No, we got to have God and then we'll have signs. How do we know we're going the right way? Signs are a part of the spiritual and supernatural life. So uh, this one, I'm going to, uh, boy, I, I could actually preach that message right there and stay there. Uh, this, though, uh, occurred to me, and I thought it'd be a great place to start because we live in a world today so consumed by fear, so consumed by all the stuff that's happening all around us. I mean, we see crazy stuff going on today, and so many believers, I'm not talking about people in the world, I'm talking about believers, they are just consumed with doom and gloom today. And I think this is a message that sort of speaks to this. So this is from uh, Acts chapter 1, and uh, it's verse 4 and 8. And uh, Jesus actually is, um, is, is talking right here. This is before he's ascended, uh, before he's gone to be with the Father. He's actually meeting with the disciples. He's talking to them about what the church is supposed to look like. And so it says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he is Jesus, them as the disciples, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him. Now look, picture this. He's risen from the dead and they know it. He's, I mean, that, how about talking? Have you ever talked to anybody that's risen from the dead? So what, would, what kind of questions would you ask? I mean, it would be a unique opportunity to ask some interesting questions. So Jesus is telling him, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I, I'm leaving. You guys stay here. The promise is coming. It's the Holy Spirit. Don't leave here until it comes. This power is going to come on you. And so the first question they ask, look at what they ask. They gather around him and ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? These guys all along, if you go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all along, they keep thinking, they, they misinterpreted Jesus' work on the earth. They thought he was there to kick out Rome and to reestablish the Jewish kingdom on the earth as the kingdom. And even at this point, they still don't know that he came to bring the kingdom of God, not a kingdom of this world. 
So they ask him a very, just, they, they're just, they still don't get it. He's even risen from the dead, and they still, then are you going to, no, go back, go back, you're too fast. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And then he answers this way. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by whose authority? His own authority. This is, in other words, this is God's work. This is not your work. This isn't for you to know. This is for God. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Those who have gone with me to Israel know this is just simply here. Here's the center of This would be Denver. This is Castle Rock. Uh, this is Pueblo, and this is us over here in America, right? That's, that's the way that that would work right there. So he's just saying, stay here in Jerusalem till you receive power, and then you're going to be my witnesses in the whole earth. All right, let me just say this. The disciples are much like us today. They were very preoccupied with end times, and that was never to be the focus of the gospel. End times were never to be the focus of the gospel. It's not about all the end time stuff. It's not about all the kingdoms of this world. It's not about what the devil's doing. The preoccupation with the church should be about their father's business, yes or no. That's what we're to be preoccupied with. And and an unhealthy preoccupation with end time events is never healthy. So let me just say this. One, many believers are so fearful about the world around us today. Have you noticed that? People don't talk about it with hope. They don't talk about it. I'm not saying when you read the newspaper to talk about that with hope, but they don't talk about what God is doing in the earth today with any hope. They don't talk about God being God and watching over and protecting and his ultimate. They never talk. They talk about all the, oh, this is, we got to do this and we got to do this and we got to figure out how to handle this. And many believers are just simply so fearful about the world around them. Uh, I've said it this way before. Man, an arm out of joint is still an arm, but it can't do what it's supposed to do. It just hangs there. When we get preoccupied with end-time events, we can't do what we're supposed to do. We're just hanging there. We're not in the right place. So it's not, God never wants us to be, these guys get, they get preoccupied with end-time events. The Lord restoring the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus is telling them it's not about that. It's about receive the power of God right now to bring the kingdom of God to this world. Here's here's a way that I I sort of phrased it. Pessimism is pervasive in many believers' hearts today. So many believers are pessimistic and downtrodden about today. Do you know that Jesus did not die so that you would be depressed? No, say it one more time. He did not die so you would be depressed, man. It is God's will that you be full of hope and full of life and full of joy of the Lord. That's where you're, you're supposed to be preoccupied with him, not your mind on this world. It's a strategy of the enemy to get you preoccupied with the stuff of this world. It's just the truth of the matter. So what is it about that? I mean, it, there are end time things in the Bible, right, John? Yes, they are. But we're not to preoccupy ourselves with end time. Jesus says over and over, whenever they ask him for a date, he always points, you're not, it's not for you to know these things. Think about it. He, every time he answers, it's not for you. Here's some of the signs, but these are not for you to sit. Just, just know the season that you're in, and then here's what you're supposed to do. Be ready. Yeah. Keep yourself ready. That's what you're supposed to do. There's your focus. So let me, let me just say, here's why I think you need to be careful focusing on all the crud in the world, all of the fear. That's, the devil, look, the devil's a terrorist. Let's say it one more time. He's a terror. His, his methodology for working on everybody, but in particular believers, is to use terror. Terror. 
He wants to terrorize you, get you to a place where you're frozen and you don't know what to do. So I'll give you two things about it. Number one, here's why you don't want to be preoccupied with just simply all the crud. going. It's distracting. You agree with that? It's just simply distracting. Man, evangelism should be our obsession. I know believers who know more things about how to save water, how to gather food, how to start fires, how to convert things to gold. They know more about that than they do. They've never led a person to Christ, but they know how to do all of those things. Think about it. There are programs all over TV. Uh, Doomsday Preppers. I don't know if it's... You ever seen that one? What a weird... Doomsday Preppers. I mean, the title says everything. Every one of them on the show was some weirdo Christian that got totally focused on end-time events. And their way of handling it was to prepare physically for a spiritual event anyway. I've always pointed out, dude, if you think by having enough food and enough candles and a generator, you're going to make it through it. Look, when they see your light, the marauding horde is coming to your house to get your food. (laughs) It's the way it'll work. (laughs) So I'm going a little far and being a little... Maybe a little out there as I say that. My point is just simply people get preoccupied and it becomes distracting from our mission. People get so consumed by end times that they lose sight of the Great Commission. Our job is not to prepare and hunker down. Our job is to reach out and live in the middle. We are supposed to absolutely occupy until he returns. That's our job. And how that gets so... So messed up, I'm, I'm not sure. The second thing, and see if you agree with this just simply, here, here's why we don't want to just find ourselves suddenly uh, only preoccupied with the end. It's just depressing. So I went through a phase where the news, the news just became so important to me. I was taking two newspapers at my house, watching the news twice a day, morning and the evening, and trying to filter all the stuff that's happening. And here, here's what will happen to you. If you just consume, if all you eat is the news... You become a byproduct of what you eat all the time. You'll become an expert on it. You can tell about what, what's going on in the Middle East, what ISIS is doing, what's going to happen uh, in, in, with Russia. You'll, you'll become an expert at it, but the problem is there's no life in it. You'll find yourself depressed and negative and thinking, oh, here's what you'll think. Jesus, come get us. Please come get us. And while there's a reward for those looking for his return, it's not from a fear-based thing. We're supposed to be excited about it, but almost, almost we should be like this. Jesus, we want you to come back, but man, we're trying. Because, look, the minute the author of the play steps onto the stage, the play's done, folks. Everything will freeze. Good for you, good for me, bad for those outside. You know this, right? Jesus himself said the door will shut and all of the knocking and all of the crying will not open that door. We have a job to do. And to sit around just going like, it doesn't matter. It matters. We get so pre, oh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. That is not. You're almost prophesying what the devil wants you to say. Don't do that, man. It's depressing. There's a lady that I know. She doesn't live in Denver. She lives south of here. This is what she told me. Her church just did a series on ISIS crossing the border in Mexico at some point. ISIS crossing the border in Mexico. And she said, I I just asked questions. She told me about it. I didn't say whether I thought it was right or wrong. I did my normal, hmm, that's interesting. Hmm, wow. So what did you learn? Here's what she said to me. Well, they brought in a person that was selling big drums you could buy to store water. 
told us what kind of number 10 cans of food we need. Now, look, I, I get, uh, I, I lived in, a, in, in the South. We had to be prepared for hurricanes. There, there's a legitimacy to a preparation, but this whole thing, here's what it did for the entire church. The whole church got preoccupied with I, ISIS. We don't even know if they're in Mexico, let alone massed on the border, and I don't believe they're about to overrun the Mexican border. And if they are, even if they are, is that our preoccupation? Ultimately, it's not our preoccupation. It's a concern for sure. I, the whole series was on it. Here, here's, let me just say this. Doomsday theology sucks the life of God out of you. And here's the most important thing. The fruit of worry is fear. And all you need is a church full of fearful people. And it will not accomplish its mission on the earth. What they will be good at is spreading fear. Spreading fear. God, listen, we just, we just talked about this in our last series. Perfect love casts out what? All fear. And the one who fears is not a mature person is what the Bible says. It's not a mature person. If we know that God loves us, God has us, God's given us a plan. God does, he shuts the mouths of lions in the middle of it, he can do unusual, extraordinary miracles where the people around you, instead of being fearful, we should think in terms of God's power to change. That's what we should be thinking right now. I wonder the audience that I say this to, how you will read this. I wonder if you'll think, yeah, but, or if you'll think, yeah, right. Which way will you go with this? Jesus came to give life with a future and a hope. Yes or no? That's what he said. I came to bring life, John 10, 10, and not just any life, but a life that's worth having, the abundant life. Listen, that life was not heaven. He said, I came to bring it now. It is not for then and there. It's for here and now too. And every believer should live with that. And while we need to be realist in the world around us, we are to reflect the reality of a different reality, not the reality of this world. That's the truth. Be consumed with God. And maybe I get asked, so why don't we see Miracles like in the book of Acts. Hey, I'll give you two things. I, I would say there's two things to that. First of all, I would admit, I don't think miracles stopped with the death of the last apostle by any means, but I would admit the apostles had a special relationship with Jesus whereby they realized nothing in this earth should take the place of Christ in my life. And they had this special, they could walk, they knew him in a way where they, we can know him that way too, by the way. It's not an admission that they had something we can't they had something we don't. You understand what I just said? I didn't say they had something we can't have. They had something that we mostly don't have. They had a press in with him. Dude, they realized my life on this earth is not what it's all about. Preoccupation with saving myself is not the issue. It's letting people know about Jesus. And I think God's favor on that is, wow, watch what I'll do for you now. And remember what Jesus said, you know, you want to lose your life, you'll save it. You want to save your life, you lose it. Wow. Hmm. Jesus came to give us life, life with the future, life with the hope. Uh, I said this before, but think about it. If you want to cheat, read the end of the book. We win. We do win. So, hey, how do you end this? I just started with, with the idea that there's such a preoccupation with fear and with end-time events and with all the stuff that's going on in the world around us. But really, what, what's the issue? I mean, what's, what's the encouragement? What's the thing that Jesus tells us to do? The, the, um, the antidote for the fear of this world is to be full of the Holy Spirit. 
It's not to get rid of fear. So if you go home today like, okay, I'm going to push fear out. That, that won't do it. What you need to do is fill yourself with the Holy Spirit, and it'll push fear out of your life. It'll put fear out of you. For, it'll give you the mission for the future. And that's what I would say. If there's any one thing, God, that this, this, this message, this series, my hope, my heart, is that we would be so full of the Holy Spirit. So plugged into what God is doing. So just downloaded that we don't, there's just not room in our brains for what the devil is saying about the world around us. I want to hear what God is saying about the world around me. I want to go into this world with God's message to this. Jesus sent the disciples into the same world you and I are in. People did not get mean since 1974, okay? They did not get dangerous since Al-Qaeda. People have been dangerous all the time. Jesus sent those disciples into a world, the one that you and I live with right now, and here, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and everything will be what it's supposed to be. Everything will be what it's supposed to be. God. Sounds simple, right? Uh, on some level, there's something I think, man, if you're hungry for God and you're a believer, we just, we long for that. We want, you know what we want? We want to see extraordinary miracles, but we never think that we're capable of extraordinary miracles. And we are. We're called to be as he is, so are we in this world as he is. First John, so are we in this world. May it be so. May it be so. Who is he in this world? King of kings, Lord of lords, first, last, greatest, all-powerful, almighty, Messiah. It's Jesus. As he is, so are we in this world. And he offers us the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill it. Let's just put our hearts in that place then to be open and to receive. So, Father, here's what we ask uh, of you right now. Is that um, it is your will, it is your good pleasure, and it is your desire to fill us with your spirit. This is not for the elite. This is not for the Jew only. This is not for uh, the Greek, but this is for all people. All who hear the good news of Jesus and say yes to him have the opportunity to be constantly and consistently filled with the Holy Spirit, with the gifts that go with being filled. And Lord, in all of our hearts, so many preconceived ideas about what it means to be filled. Some of us, Lord, say no before we even know simply because of our preconceived ideas. And here's what the Lord would say to you. Would you just block all that out and would you be open to him? Would you allow him to be the one who directs your life? Would you allow him to be the one who directs you being filled with the Holy Spirit? If he is a good God and a good father and he gives this good gift, why would you ever say no to it? And our job is just to simply open our hearts and open our lives and to say yes to his activity, yes to what he wants to do, yes to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask, even as our concluding worship comes, that you would just take a few moments before you just simply jet out of here and allow your heart to be open to the activity of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit and ask every day. Ask to be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Ask for your life to overflow with those things. Don't say, God, give me a gift. Say, God, give me more of the Holy Spirit. You'll have the gifts that God wants you to have. Become in tune with that 
like you would with the news of this world and watch what happens in your life when you become so consumed with the ministry, the mission, the message of Jesus. It changes the way you do, view and see everything. Lord, I pray you would do that in all of our lives. Start with me. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks, folks.